There are two dilemmas that rattle the human skull. How do you hold on to someone who won't stay? And how do you get rid of someone who won't go? From Pod 617 Productions, it's Shine On, a presentation of Berkman, Botker, Newman, and Shine. Now here's your host, attorney Evan Shine. Episode 6 of the Shine On Podcast, I'm Evan Shine. We have a great show today and a really fantastic guest who I'm excited to speak with. As always, the Shine On Podcast, legendary. Executive producer, Dave, is on the other side of the glass. David, how are you? Yes, I am. It's a thick glass. It it uh, goes all the way from Boston to New York, but such is life. <laughs> and Dave, I got to tell you, after the last episode, I have people flooding the Shine On podcast inbox telling mm. me that I need to give you a raise in addition <laughs> to not only saying how legendary and executive <laughs> you are, but after you mentioned that you're not paid enough equivalent to the title, people are flooding the inbox. <laughs> Well, the people will speak. I'd, I'd, listen, nobody stage an insurrection for me, okay? I'm just not quite that worthy, but I appreciate the support. <laughs> Dave, I got to tell you, we are five episodes in on the Shine On podcast, and, and, and wow, the Shine On podcast inbox, it's been flooded with yeah. comments, reviews, and really great questions from the listeners. And we're going to tackle some of those questions today on episode six, but before we do, I want to preview our featured guest this week on the Shine Up podcast, who is coming up on the other side of the docket. Our featured guest this week on episode six is Stephanie Haney. Stephanie is an Emmy Award winner, a lawyer, and a digital anchor and legal analyst for WKYC3, NBC Cleveland, and co-host of the podcast Sassy and Uncalled For, and she has her own show, Sidebar with Stephanie. Throughout her career, Stephanie has had a front row seat to both covering and delivering the news, current events, entertainment, politics, and so much more. We are going to talk to Stephanie about her incredible career in journalism, covering these issues, and what it's like to win an Emmy, and the impact of non-traditional news media in 2021. We are going to get into the epic rise and impact of technology, everything from how news is covered today to help people find love in a digital world and the effect of social media on relationships. We are going to ask Stephanie why celebrities going through a high-profile divorce just can't help litigating their private lives on social media. This is an interview that you will not want to miss. Dave, let's kick it off with some questions from the loyal Shine On Podcast listeners. You got it. First question comes from Mackenzie in New York City. She writes, Or he, I guess. Mackenzie could be male or female, right? Evan, I loved your interview with the divorce doctor, Elizabeth Cohen. My best friend is just starting to go through a divorce in New York with her husband, who happens to be an attorney, and she is overwhelmed and stressed and feels overmatched. How can I help her? Mackenzie, thank you for your question. It's a great one. And first, your friend should know that she's lucky to have you in her corner. As we talked about on the Shine Up podcast with the divorce doctor, Elizabeth Cohen, It's important that anyone who's going through a divorce has a support network in place and really the right team of professionals, attorney, therapist, financial coach, to name a few of those must-haves on your friend's team. And it's important that your friend knows 
she's not alone. She will get through this. And on the other side, there's that light, the light that we talked about with Dr. Cohen and people who go through divorce, as she said, are superheroes. And your friend, she's a superhero as well. Very good. Next question comes from Kendall from the West Village, New York City, writing, I am recently engaged. I run my own boutique company. I always knew that I would need to have a prenup. I just keep putting off having the conversation for obvious reasons. Any advice for how to have the conversation and how to explain to my soon-to-be husband why I want one? Kendall, thanks for your question and a shout-out to one of my favorite places in New York City, the <laughs> lovely the village. West Village. Kendall, first, I give you all the credit in the world for recognizing the need to have a prenuptial agreement in place and the benefits for you to have this agreement. As we have talked about before on the Shine Up podcast, there are specific reasons to enter into a prenuptial agreement before marriage. And whether it's to protect income, protect assets, or as in your case, to protect the business interest, there's a tremendous benefit for you to have an agreement in place before you say I do. And one of the benefits to a prenup is that you and your fiance can negotiate your own deal, your own agreement, separate from what the laws may provide. In terms of advice, I'll give you one thing to start. Have a conversation with your fiance. Do it soon. It only becomes harder the longer you wait. Very good advice. And I imagine many people have that dilemma because prenups is just a delicate subject for sure. But Kendall, thank you for the question. Evan, if you will, we also have a couple of comments in the comment box. Reviews of your pod. Is that all right, counselor? Let's do it. All right. <laughs> Just a couple here. First one from Eric Sternberg, who writes, Buzzworthy, phenomenal podcast, and it's only the beginning. Evan Shine has the perfect mix of experience, knowledge, and personality to lead an informative and entertaining conversation with each of his guests, no matter what the topic is. In my ever-growing list of podcasts that I'm subscribed to, Shine On has quickly become one that can't be missed. Thank you, Eric. C. Cohen, too, writes the following. Incredible insights. This podcast is a game changer. Trying to understand family law in today's society has always been challenging. Evan breaks down the most complex issues into simpler terms and really dives deep into the law into how the law intersects with some of the most important aspects of our lives, family, money, divorce, sports, entertainment, and more, a must listen. Thank you so much for those listeners, and thank you for subscribing to the Shine On podcast. A reminder that you can find the show on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you find your podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast. pretty much on down the line you'll find the Shine On podcast. Don't forget it's S-C-H-E-I-N. And uh, counselor, if you're ready for the docket, this producer is ready as well. All right, here we go. And now, let's see what's on the docket. Well, Evan, as we record this, we're on the sort of the eve of the Super Bowl. And people with Tom Brady on the mind. This article comes from page six, of course, of the New York Post. Headline reading, how Tom Brady... Giselle Bunchen and Bridget Moynihan became a unified family. I'll read a little bit of the article here. The minute last Sunday that Tom Brady clinched his record 10th spot in the Super Bowl, there was just one person he wanted to see. Can I say hi to my son? Asked Brady, who climbed the barrier to embrace his oldest boy, already gaining on him in height, and tell him, love you, kiddo. Friends of the multimillionaire quarterback told the Post that Jack is Brady's mini-me. 
And the article goes on to describe how an unlikely different family, unified family, has emerged with Brady, of course, his ex and his current wife. Your thoughts, my friend. Dave, my thoughts are this. Look, Tom Brady is known for his incredible accomplishments on the football field. Arguably, he's the best quarterback of all time. Future Hall of Famer. And this year, he's doing the unthinkable. Under center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And as we record this episode, he's headed to yet another Super Bowl. But this article focuses not on Brady's all-world accomplishments and on-the-field accolades, but rather on Brady's life off the field, his marriage with Giselle and the two children they have together, and his son Jack from his prior relationship with Bridget Moynihan. And the article mentions a quote from Bridget Moynihan's Instagram Mm -hmm. after Tom Brady beat the Packers to lead his team to the Super Bowl. And Moynihan posted on Instagram, I could not be more proud. Tom Brady said he would do it, and he did it. Congratulations, Buccaneers. What a great post. And the comments and the likes on social media poured in Mm -hmm. for the support Moynihan showed Brady and really the message that it sends. And one of the comments in particular in response to Moynihan's post that the article mentions, it was so awesome to watch you both navigate your lives in such a supportive, respectful way. You are a great role model for kindness and forgiveness. And the background is worth mentioning here. Now, Moynihan found out she was pregnant with Jack, Brady's son, in February of 2007. Now, this was just two two months after her and Brady broke up after dating for about two years. Now, according to the article, when Moynihan found this out, Brady had just started dating Giselle. Brady, Giselle, and Moynihan, they've been candid over the years when they've been asked about the challenges that they each faced at the time. And the article references a quote from an interview that Moynihan did with People magazine. Tom and I made a decision to raise a child together, and we both found partners that not only supported us in raising that child, but also loved our child as if he was our own. And I don't think you can ask for more than that. My son is surrounded by love. And what an incredible quote and really a lesson in this and a message For so many people out there who struggle with how to navigate post-divorce life, the post-divorce world, and when their ex remarries and has children. The article talks about how Jack, Brady's son, has a close relationship with Brady's two children that he has with Giselle. Mm. And they're a blended family in every sense of the word. Mm -hmm. And how absolutely fantastic that is and inspirational to so many people out there the way that Brady and Giselle and Moynihan, that they've navigated this. And the truth is, it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. And look, in my practice as a divorce attorney, I tell clients all the time, this is not going to be easy. It's going to take work. But at the end of the day, to have the positive, supportive co-parenting relationship and to put children first and really foster that feeling of positivity, it's always better. But there's something else that this article brings out, and and it's worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing this in my practice even more so since COVID hit in March of 2020, Mm -hmm. because many people who divorced and couples who have separated 
are now quarantining together in one house under one roof. And for many people, not everybody, but for many people, this has actually improved co-parenting relationships and it's fostered a really great bond between children. Yeah, it must be rare and you would know better than I when you achieve this kind of peace, which is why it's a good story. It's a good story that it can be done. What's tricky sometimes I think is one, when the divorce occurs, the, either the husband or the wife will be off with a new partner and then one partner is left single and perhaps has a lot of venom towards this new person in the picture. Why, is, why does this woman get to spend time with my kids when I'm not there? Why does this man get to spend time with my kids when I'm not there? But if you can achieve what Brady has apparently achieved, it's just so much better for everyone. As Evan, I'm divorced, and my ex-wife and I have, for the most part, remained civil. And what's particularly nice about our relationship is, and the backbone of our relationship is the attitude towards our kids, that we always wanted to co-parent. Even when I knew she was pissed off as hell at me, she could put that aside for the good of the kids. <laughs> and just recently, as I've shared with you, we drove my youngest son up to college in uh, Amherst, Mass., and it was the three of us making that trip, and it felt great. And big smile on his face. Well, he's happy because he's going to college anyway. But, but <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if that smile was because of the three of you or it was because he's <laughs> going to college. He's saying but goodbye then, to look, both of us. But, that's, but, but your point is, is spot on. The truth is, it can be done. It's better when that's the way it is. But it also takes time. Absolutely. It takes time yep. to process the divorce. It takes time to heal. We've talked to many experts here on the Shine On podcast, and it's going to take time. But when you get to a place where everybody can process and heal and redirect the focus to the kids, everybody's in a better situation. Absolutely. And by the way, you're right. It, was, it took a while to get to that point that I was at, and I'm sure for most, you got to do your period of mourning for the marriage. And But just another reason why Tom Brady is the perfect human, I guess. So we have one more item for the docket. This one, a change of pace. An Orlando, Florida law office is giving away a free divorce for Valentine's Day. That's right. Valentine's Day might be, as ClickOrlando.com reports, I should say, Valentine's Day might be looking a little different for your marriage this year. And that's okay because an Orlando law office wants to help make the process a little easier with this unusual contest. They're giving one soon-to-be former couple a free divorce. We understand that the pandemic has had a ne negative effect on everyone's lives according to a press release the coronavirus took jobs social interaction etc cetera, etc cetera. as our world slowly continues to rebuild the law office of Evan morse would like to offer some help and so there's a contest here and there are all kinds of terms and stuff what do you think about this move dave look forget about the flowers or the box of chocolates <laughs> this valentine's day what says i love you like a free divorce <laughs> Tell me, yeah. what says I love you like a free divorce? Look, the reality is this is a nice gesture. Mm. Hope it helps a couple out. But I would just say, take a look at the fine print under eligibility, because as I read through the article, one of the requirements is you have to actually have your entire divorce finalized to be eligible for the free finalization of the divorce papers. Yeah. Now, look, I've never had a client come to me and say, Evan, custody is resolved, finances resolved properties resolved. We've settled the case on our own, but yet we're coming to you to just handle the divorce paperwork. 
Mm. Look, if you handled all the hard stuff, what are you coming to me for the paperwork? So the reason you hire an attorney is to resolve the issues that, based on the eligibility for the free divorce this Valentine's Day, actually need to be resolved before you come to the attorney. But look, at the end of the day, if it helps a couple out this Valentine's Day, I'm all for it. (laughs) Unusual way to spend Valentine's Day. Broken Hearts Club. I'll tell you, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall for uh, for that conversation this Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, and if you win the contest, do you, do you celebrate or are you sad or what? <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird one. Our featured guest this week on the Shine On podcast is Stephanie Haney. Stephanie is the digital anchor and legal analyst for WKYC3, NBC in Cleveland. She has an Emmy Award, a law degree, a podcast, her own YouTube channel, and she's the creator and host of her own web series, Sidebar with Stephanie. Throughout her career, Stephanie has delivered the latest news in the legal, political, pop culture, and entertainment industries. She hosts a digital live stream called 3 News Now with Stephanie Haney. Stephanie has received an Emmy Award for her work on Daily Mail TV. She has appeared on several TV networks. She's been published in the Los Angeles Times, LA Weekly, DailyMail.com, and many other publications, and her stories have been featured as well. Stephanie is nice enough to join us. I appreciate the time. How are you? I'm doing well, Evan. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, of course. And Stephanie, as we record this episode, heading into Super Bowl weekend, I want to start by asking you about the Cleveland Browns. And while I know the Browns are not playing in the Super Bowl, in many ways, Maybe it felt like they were for the fans of Cleveland, for the city of Cleveland, as the Browns made it to the playoffs. And this was a really historic year for the Browns who have struggled for so long. So I want to ask you, what was it like to be in Cleveland, be a journalist, following the Browns run, making it to the playoffs for the first time in such a long time? Well, I'll tell you what, Evan, the Steelers games, those two back-to-back games where the Browns won, that definitely felt like the Super Bowl. I thought I was dreaming (laughs) watching the Browns beat the Steelers in the AFC wildcard round. I couldn't believe that right out of the gate, literally the first play after the kickoff, we scored a touchdown in that playoff game. It was just incredible. So yes, when we won that game, it was just like the Browns had won the Super Bowl. But to your question of what it's been like covering the Browns being here in Cleveland, it's been incredible. Monday mornings have never been so great. We've never had so many (laughs) victory Mondays. And I covered the Browns last season too, when we had not nearly as many victory Mondays. And it was a welcome change of pace this year. And the future is incredibly bright. The Browns have a ton of stars uh, to really build around. And it finally looks like things are changing things are turning for the city of cleveland and really their sports teams not only the browns but you know the other teams as well sure yeah the cavaliers are off to a great start they're starting the season 10 and 11 i was actually just talking about today on my segment on our five o'clock show colin sexton the guard for the Cavs, talking about his rising star in the nba and his breakout game against the brooklyn nets beating a team in overtime that has kyrie irving Evan Durant. These are good things. It's a good time to be a Cleveland sports fan. Absolutely. No, it definitely is. 
And Stephanie, I want to transition away from the sports conversation to talk about your career. And you have had such a fascinating, interesting career, a career that's taken you all across the country from Ohio to North Carolina for law school, to California, to New York City, and other places in between, and now back to Cleveland. How has your experience and living in different cities in some of the biggest media markets, how has that impacted you and your approach to covering the news and creating content today? Interesting question. Well, I will tell you this, in all of the cities that I've lived in, I have always found the most community among Ohio people really tend to find each other, not to get back into the sports conversation, but living in New York, one of my favorite things to do was go to the Browns bar in Murray Hill, Brother Jimmy's barbecue, as many Sundays as I could. And I made great friends there. Actually, one of my friends that I've made from there just recently moved back here. He works in the media industry as well in the college sports world. So making those lasting connections has been great. But The one thing that I've learned in all of those places, when you're working in media in Los Angeles, when you're working in media in New York City, you're looking at more of a national landscape, but you really learn how to take a national story and find out what matters locally in that story. And that's been helpful to me in my career personally. And also, I think it's just good to sort of get out and experience other things and then kind of bring that diversity of experience back to where you want to end up. And for me, it's just incredibly special being back in Northeast Ohio. Now I'm not from Cleveland, so I do very much still feel like I'm learning Cleveland because I lived in Canton. I was born and raised in Canton, Ohio, which is about an hour south of Cleveland. My whole family is there. So to have the opportunity to come back here and be close to them was absolutely incredible. But at the same time, I'm still very much learning a brand new city and it's really made me appreciate all that Cleveland has to offer. I know if you hear people talk about Cleveland, you will, you'll think everybody's drank the Kool-Aid, but it's true. (laughs) There are such great things here. I've never lived in a city where I had such immediate access to incredible Metro parks, to lake life with Lake Erie right on the water here down in the flats in downtown Cleveland and all of the comforts of being in a city. When I first moved back here, I didn't even have a car and that was fine. I got around just fine because I had sold my car when I moved to New York. So I think it's really helped me appreciate all of the simplicities that people might maybe take for granted otherwise. Stephanie, I got to tell you, listening to you, it almost makes me want to open up a satellite office for my law (laughs) practice in in Cleveland. And I got to tell you, you mentioned Brother Jimmy's, you mentioned Murray Hill, two of my favorite places in New York. I want to talk about your career in journalism, and I know you've worked with some fantastic people along the way, Diane Sawyer, and who's an icon in the industry, and not many people did it better than her. When you look around today in 2021, who gets it right from a journalism standpoint? Well, I'll say this. Very specifically, my journalism crush is Anderson Cooper. I love it. I love he, it. He you, heard, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> he is my journalism crush. What I love about Anderson is he still gets out there and in it. He's got his network show where he's at the desk, but he won't hesitate to get out there in the field. Of course, things are a little bit different now because nobody's really doing too much from the field. A lot of people are kind of, if you're going to be in studio, you're kind of locked into being in studio. But also, he doesn't hesitate 
to ask the hard questions and he'll really get to the heart of it. He doesn't let anybody get away with anything. And he is something to aspire to, I think. No, I totally agree. He's one of my favorites. And look, Stephanie, I know I'm in the minority. I still get three newspapers delivered a day. I read it front to cover with a cup of black coffee, but I listen to podcasts. I check Twitter endlessly, Instagram as well. As you look at the news industry today, you mentioned Anderson Cooper, but there's been really a dramatic shift from newspapers to online, digital, social media. Has this become the norm in terms of delivering content and how we receive news today? Well, sure. We're just so impatient. You can't wait for a headline to come tomorrow when the news is happening right now. It's really hard to imagine living in a world right now when we don't know something very dramatic that's happening instantaneously because social media and access to the internet has really democratized the ability to put information out there. So it's not just people in the news who are breaking stories. It's the everyday person who's there experiencing it breaking these stories. And then we find them online. And then our job as journalists is to talk to those people, go deeper, ask the right questions, find people to give it context and that sort of thing. So I think the more people that can be involved in the process, the better. And I think that is what we're seeing now with the way we get our information. It's really opening up that little bubble and making it you know, more of a group effort. Do you have any concern about the way news is being covered, or you mentioned Twitter, and look, we lived for four years in a Trump presidency where if the latest breaking news took place on Twitter, but is there any concern that there is a lack of reporting, verification, and really due diligence on across the board? I don't think in the news industry, I'm not concerned about that in the news industry. I am concerned about people sharing information without verifying it. I absolutely think before you hit share on anything, just if I could ask one thing of anyone before they share something is to click on the link and read it and not just the headline before they share something. Because <laughs> oftentimes it, you can only, first of all, you can only put so much in a headline. You can only put so much in a tweet, right? So if you're going to share something, you should really be aware of what it is that you're sharing and it, look into it just a little bit. It's like what I tell my clients as a divorce attorney, unless you want the judge to read it, you probably shouldn't write it to your soon-to-be ex. Yeah, that sounds like good advice. <laughs> now, let's shift gears and, and talk a little bit about politics and, and really the media coverage over the past four years. You mentioned Anderson Cooper, and I want to ask you what it was like to cover politics on the different platforms that you have during a Trump presidency. It's an interesting space to be in. We did find ourselves in a situation a lot where the president was saying things that were not true. And what I really did appreciate seeing there at the end was a lot of journalistic entities came out and said, he is lying. These are baseless claims about the election and about fraud and these kinds of things. But it's a tough to position to be in because as an attorney, and you may have heard that one of the arguments that his defense will be bringing forth when this impeachment trial comes forward is you can't prove that what he said was false. And that's, <laughs> it's, a, it's like a defamation situation. And it's like in the scientific world, like proving something is false is tough in a certain sense of it. It's just, it's a difficult situation to be in when you know that someone is saying things that are not true, but 
if you hold yourself to a certain standard, it's hard to come at that and say unequivocally, this is not true because there's maybe like just that little hair of a sliver of a possibility. No, you're 100% right. I think it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, what happens with the impeachment trial. It was definitely an interesting end to, to Trump's time in the White House. And look, for four years, all we heard from the former president was fake news. And there wasn't a day that didn't go by where we didn't hear that expression. And as you look at the political landscape shifting to a Biden presidency and the way the news media was viewed by the former president, how does this foster the belief that the news media or media in general cannot be trusted? Well, if you hear something enough times, you start to believe it. And President Donald Trump enjoys a lot of support among members of the Republican Party. They believe the things that he says, word for word. President Biden enjoys a lot of support as well. And people also believe the things he said. I think the most important thing that we can do in member as members of the media is really hold this presidency's feet to the fire and ask the right questions and do the due diligence. Joe Biden is not going to get a pass on anything. It's our job to really dig into the things he's saying, make sure that the motivations that he's saying match with his actions. And is he delivering on his promises? Did he say this, but did he vote this way? And why is that different? And really make sure that we are paying attention to that. And I would really challenge everyone in the media to, to maybe focus a little bit more on the actions that are being taken and the governing that's being done and the governing that needs to be done. And maybe we can drop the conversation about the political aspect of it and the maneuvering just a little bit, because quite frankly, we're in a very serious time where we need action to happen. And you I'm saying so. that not only, uh, not to cut you off, but not only as yep. a journalist, I'm saying that as a citizen of this country. And we need action. No matter who it's from, we need it to happen and we need to hold them as journalists accountable. Stephanie, such a great point. And, and really, I want to ask you about the different platforms, the way we receive news today. You mentioned the newspaper. It's sad, but the newspaper continues to shrink in size. If back in the day, if there was breaking news on a Tuesday night, you wouldn't read about it until the next day. And now with social media, the different platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, it's really giving a younger voice to, or really a voice to the younger generation. And we're living in times with social movements, politics, as you mentioned, there, there really should be a path to action. What are the benefits of the platforms that exist today to give a voice to so many people? Well, it's just access. Imagine the difficulty of going, the difficult, it sounds very first world problems to even say that, but the difficulty <laughs> of going to get a newspaper. And also too, I will say this, one thing that does concern me about it, now that I'm thinking about it, the digital divide is a serious concern. So because we have less of that hard copy news that we're getting, it's not like there are as many newspaper stands on the corner or whatever, well, not everybody has internet access. So there's a gap in people who have access to information in that space. And that is something that we really need to do something about in this country, for sure. But that aside, that is a big issue aside, it is, I think, great that we do have such immediate access and such an opportunity where the information is being presented for conversations to immediately happen. Now, we do get into the situation where we find ourselves in a bit of echo chambers online, and that's problematic for sure. I think we just need to be aware of that 
and, and engage with people that have various perspectives, various backgrounds, and not be afraid of that, not be afraid to disagree, but learn to do it in a more productive way. And Stephanie, that's such a great point. And I want to shift and talk about technology and, and relationships. And as a divorce attorney, I often hear about the social media affair. I have people come into my office, sit across from me, and I listen to people tell me, Evan, Facebook and Instagram, they were the cause of my breakup. And look, there's obviously something bigger going on. Mm -hmm. It's never just Facebook. It's never just Instagram. But look, the reality is, especially during COVID, people are spending so much time on their phones, on their computers. It's an easy way to follow your ex, reach out to old acquaintances. And I think we will see an incredible fallout on relationships and a spike in infidelity once there's a return to normalcy. But I want to ask you, what are you seeing in terms of the effect of social media on relationships? What are your thoughts? Well, the effect of social media on relationships, I think, is different than the effect of just the online world on relationships. Social media is not real. It's not real. <laughs> We're getting the highlight reel. I don't put all of my business on social media. Most people don't put all of their business on social media. Some people do, but not everybody does. And I think somebody who's going to do something that you don't like on social media is going to do something that you don't like in person too. It's not like, like you said, to your point, Instagram and Facebook aren't the causes of infidelity. It's just another avenue that people have to go about doing whatever it is they're going to do anyway. So there's that. But I will say this. I recently did a podcast. So one of my podcasts is called Three Things to Know with Stephanie Haney. And I talked about what dating has been looking like in the pandemic. So I talked with Matches chief dating expert, Rachel D'Alto. I also talked with a private matchmaker here in Cleveland from It's Just Lunch Cleveland. And matches are up. People are swiping, people are connecting. And from what they told me and from what Matches annual single study says, people are looking for more in-depth relationships. People want to connect on a deeper level. And here's why I think this is, and I would say I agree with this. Say you're a single person and we're in a pandemic. Say you go on a first date. Say you've chatted with someone, you go on a first date. Say it's bad. Well, now you got to quarantine for two weeks or you can go out on another date. Because, we're, you know, living in, we're living in fascinating times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the, the motivation there to have a deeper connection before you actually decide if it's worth the risk to meet up with someone in person is a lot stronger right now. In previous times when I've been single, it's not a big deal to set up a first date after not chatting for not that long or that kind of thing. So I think not just social media, but just the online world in general. I think right now specifically for the time and the situation that we're in, I think it is leading to people being more intentional with their relationships. So I want to ask you about that because it, it's fascinating to me as, as a divorce attorney. Do you think because of the times we're living in, in, in COVID and quarantine, do you think people, I don't want to say rush into relationships, but do you think they're more likely to give people a second date, a third date, like you said, whether it's because of the, the two-week quarantine, because it's harder to go out and meet people, do you think COVID will have that effect? This isn't a great answer, and I know it's not a great answer, but I think it's going to be one or the other. I think people are going to be a little more savage, 
I think they're going to be quicker to cut people off or quicker to say, I don't really think that we should waste each other's time or whatever, because you don't want to run that risk for no good reason. But I also think that people might be more likely to stay in situations that aren't working. I don't think it's going to happen right out of the gate. Just doesn't seem like that would make sense to me. I don't think you're going to say after going out on one date that wasn't great, well, maybe I'll give them another chance because I did go out of my way to meet them already. So two weeks, whatever, that doesn't sound great. I think though, if you were maybe in something that you might've otherwise been inclined to kind of see what else is out there. Maybe you were a couple months into something or something like that. I could see people being more likely to drag that out a little unnecessarily. And I'm no dating expert, but I would just say to those people, just rip the bandaid off. Just not worth it. <laughs> Stephanie, I wanna ask you is, in the entertainment and sports industries, I work with people going through a divorce or in prenuptial agreements before they get married. And it feels like every day I'm waking up and I'm reading about a different celebrity breakup, whether it's on Instagram or Twitter. A few weeks ago, it was Dr. Dre and his divorce. And we saw how that spiraled on social media. And now it's Kim and Kanye's divorce. And celebrities put tremendous value on their privacy for themselves, their children. Yet for some reason, when it comes to announcing a split or when they're going through a divorce, why do celebrities struggle so much with staying off social media and not going back and forth, really litigating in the public spotlight? Well, the way celebrities use social media these days, the Kardashians are a perfect case study in this. They're not doing their TV show anymore after it's either 14 or 20 seasons. It's, I think it's 20 seasons in 14 years. I think, anyway, they're not doing their TV show anymore. They don't have to because they do branded Instagram ads and they need to keep that content going in order to drive people to that social media because that's where they make their money. So that's the tough thing is when you open up that can of worms and you're making money by connecting with people on your social media, they're gonna notice when your spouse doesn't show up on your social media. So you really, at that point, you don't have a choice. Because then you're going to get into a situation where people are thinking that you're not being authentic, then your followers are going to drop off, people aren't going to trust what you say, and then that's affecting your bottom line. And especially if you're already a celebrity going through a high profile divorce, it's going to be expensive. Somebody's getting paid out a lot of money, and attorneys are getting paid out a lot of money, and you, you got to keep making money. So you have to keep kind of feeding the beast in that way. That's what I think. It's true, and it's such a great point. Look, and I tell clients all the time, be careful on social media, right? I have cases and clients who... They're supposed to be home with their kids and they're tagged in pictures and they're at bars or they're at restaurants or they're at the Giants game. And then I work with high profile clients and it's the same thing, but you're right. So many celebrities and people in the entertainment industry, they make money off whether it's sponsorships, endorsements, branding opportunities. And you mentioned the Kardashians and you're really seeing that play out in, in the media and on social media. It's true. And it's unfortunate. I just love love. I do. And I hate to see it not work out for anybody that's gotten married. But at some point, like I said, you got to cut your losses. So hopefully it's what's best for them. And they've worked through all of that, I'm sure. No, absolutely. And Stephanie, I got to tell you, this was absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Can you tell the listeners on the Shine On podcast, where could everybody find you and how can people listen to your shows? Sure. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. My handles there are underscore Stephanie Haney. 
if you want to connect with me on Facebook, my Facebook page is facebook.com slash the Stephanie Haney. And my two podcasts right now that I am running are Three News Now with Stephanie Haney and Three Things to Know with Stephanie Haney. Both of those are the number three. So you can just search for those on any podcast platform and I would love to have you along for the ride. So come and find me, shoot me a DM and say hi. I'd love to hear from people. Stephanie, thank you very much for coming on the Shine On Podcast. Thanks, Evan. It was great to be here. Dave, another great show on the Shine On Podcast, episode six in the books. And this was tremendous. Thank you for listening to the Shine On Podcast. Stephanie Haney, wow. What a career, what insight. No one covers today's news like Stephanie. To the listeners on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to your podcast, thank you for listening. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. I'm Evan Shine, and we'll talk to you again real soon.